0: You are a guest or a visitor with us. Thank you for coming. I uh, trust you didn't lose a bet to get here, but I'm glad you're here. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the great privilege of being the main Bible teacher as the lead pastor, and I love it. And uh, we're working through a series in the Gospel of Mark, uh, which is one of uh, the early letters or uh, books of the New Testament, where Mark gives us an outline of highlight of, of, of Jesus' life, kind of a front row seat to the words and the works of Jesus, and it's all designed to point us to a very specific message. So we're working passage by passage, slowly through the Gospel of Mark, trying to find some application for us, trying to see what God would have us to see through the pages of the Bible, and it has been a joy so far. I trust that you're having fun working through Mark, and we're going to keep trucking right along here. We are in today in the second chapter of Mark. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way to verse 12. This is a very, very familiar passage, one that we have heard a lot, one that we've taught a lot to our children. Uh, If you were like me, and you grew up in the church, then you remember remember flannel graph, which was like the precursor to PowerPoint, right? And I remember this one very specifically. There was a, a lady in our church who had like the flannel graph deluxe set, and there were like four four little guys on the roof and they dropped their friend through. There was like a hole in the flannel graph and you could drop your friend through. And I made this little paper to take home to my mom and I had to cut it and, and we put a little bed there and a guy and we could drop the guy down through the roof into the, the crowd and he could see Jesus. That, that classic story of the paralytic man being lowered through the roof and Jesus healing him. That's what we get to talk about today. And typically, typically, when we hit this passage, we focus so much on the faith of these four friends, and that's a good point of, of emphasis, and it's a good application point. But it is not, as we're about to see, it is not the point of this story. The point of this story is actually much more beautiful and bigger than any of that. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about now. I, now I've got you hooked. Now you're like, hold on a second, I know this story, I've taught this story. No, you can't change the meaning on me. No, I promise, I promise, it's all in here, and we'll find it. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, here's what the Bible says, and when when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Wow. So we remember, right? You remember the story? Good. Do you remember the flannel graph? The picture? The little piece of paper that your kids drew in Sunday school, right? We remember this story, we're just going to make a few observations about what's happening here in these pages. And we're to, hopefully we'll find, we'll find some really great application for us today. And I, I guarantee you, no matter where you've come from today, no matter what your religious background today, you might be here and be like, look, I am not a religious person, but my girlfriend told me that I, I, if I wanted to go out with her, I had to come to church with her, so I'm here. Right? And like Pastor Duke says, pretty girls have been bringing people to Jesus for a long time. That's cool. We're okay with that, but I promise you, no matter where you are today, you will find a way to see some kind of truth for you. Whether you've been walking with Jesus and you're a disciple of his and a follower of his, and you've been part of this church for 40 years, if that's you, great, you're going to find it. And maybe you're here and you look, I, I, I'm willing to explore some of this. I'm not quite ready to jump in. You're going to find a place here today for you as well. All right, here's what we see. The first thing is there's, there's a man in dire need. All right? The miracle tour has returned back home to Capernaum. Remember, Capernaum is, a, is a, um, an affluent city. It's a, it's a wonderful city. It's not the um, sticks and, and the backwoods wilderness of Nazareth. No, it's, it's a more of a thriving city. It's got a great economic base. It was Jesus' home base for his ministry. It was where Simon lived, Peter. It was where he lived. Jesus had just been out, remember, walking through Galilee, going town to town, unable to actually get into the towns. Remember, the crowds were pressing in on him. He had to stay out in desolate places, and they had to come out to him. And he just took his miracle tour on the road, and as he went, he preached the word to them, and he healed them. He healed sickness and he cast out demons. John MacArthur says that during this time, it is likely that Jesus eradicated disease from Israel. Because it doesn't say that he healed only the people who had faith. He's just healing everybody. He's gathering around healing people to show that he has power. He is overcoming sickness and disease. He's casting out demons. People who were oppressed are now liberated and free And he comes home. And it's rumored that he's in the house. It's rumored that he's come home. Well, of course it is. He's a miracle worker. That kind of, he causes a bit of a stir. Right? When he shows up, it's a big deal. My family and I were in Washington, D.C. earlier this year. We we were walking, by the way, this is neither here nor there, but we were walking around Washington, D.C., and we were trying to get to the steps of these famous places, and we wondered why everywhere we went there were people in, in like SWAT gear with armed with large weapons. And they wouldn't let us get on the steps of places like what's going on? It was the day that George Mueller was giving his testimony on Capitol Hill. Everything was like in lockdown. We saw the president leave. And when he left, he showed, he walked out of his house and there was crowds gathered around. And he got in Marine 1 and the helicopter fired up and there he went and he went up. He didn't wave at me or anything, but he left. He didn't he didn't see me, I guess. If he would have, of course, he would have waited. Well, look, there's Matt, my good buddy. And he left. It, it caused quite a stir to know that he was there. Jesus arrives in Capernaum, and immediately the crowds descend upon Simon's house again. So many that there was no room, not even at the door. They couldn't even do like an overflow room. It was just packed in with people. And just in case you needed a reminder, what was Jesus doing with the crowds? He wasn't in there doing magic tricks. He wasn't in there telling cute stories. He was preaching the word to them because he came to preach. And what did he preach? He did not preach a message of, of strong arm submission, and he did not preach a message of desperation and, and guilt and shame per se. He came and he preached the word to them, and he preached to them this word that the time is fulfilled. The time that God had promised has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God that was promised in the Old Testament is now at hand. It's near. The kingdom of God where he rules and reigns is now present with you and then he calls people. So repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in this king of this new kingdom. It's time. The doors are open. All who will are invited to come in and find amnesty and forgiveness and grace with Jesus. It's now. Now is the day. Now is the time. Come. Repent and believe. He was preaching that message and he was healing sickness. And four friends, it says they, we don't even know these guys' names, they bring, uh, they bring a paralytic man to Jesus. So this guy is paralyzed. We're not sure which paralysis he suffers from. But he's laying on a bed and four guys are carrying him. Now it's helpful for us to remember that the most obvious truths in the Bible are usually the most um, powerful ones. The most powerful things we find in the scriptures are not the things that, that are like mysteriously hidden in the minute details of the Bible code. That you like take every 33rd letter throughout the whole the Greek, uh, Greek New Testament and that spells it. No, it's the plain stuff right in front of you that is the most powerful. And good teaching and good preaching is, honestly, it, I'm gonna, it's really just a matter of like observation. Right? Like you see all, the, it, here it is, it's right there. It's, there's no special gift here, it's just, there it is. It, it's right on, the, on the, the page in front of us. So what is most obvious? Why is it that four friends are carrying this guy to Jesus? Because he can't walk himself. The most obvious thing here is this guy is in a desperate place. He needs a miracle. He needs help. Something in his life is holding him, is, is ensnaring him, has enslaved him. He is not able to live and move freely because he's bound and hindered. He needs a deliverance. Well, that's good. He's come to the right place because Jesus is in the business of miracles. My friends, you need the miracle. He does the miracles. I think we got a solution here. Right? They load him up, they head over to Simon's. But they can't get there. Remember, the crowds are so big, they're pressing in on him. They can't even get through the door. And just think about the crowd for a moment. Jesus is in there working miracles. Able bodied people are so focused on what's happening that they wouldn't move out of the way and let the paralyzed guy through. That should tell you a little bit about the nature of the crowd. They want to see the show. John MacArthur makes an interesting point about this, about how the crowd so often in the scriptures is seen as a hindrance to the work of God. We think the crowd is a sign of the work of God. Shame on us. We think that large numbers of people sitting and listening is a sign of the work. No, 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 no. Oftentimes the crowd is a hindrance to the work of God. Here comes four friends with a guy in obvious need and the able-bodied people stand there and they don't get out of the way. But they were undeterred. These guys were not given up easily. They could have said, oh man, sorry, all full. No, room, no more room. Maybe we'll come back tomorrow. We should have gotten here earlier. Sorry, buddy, looks like you're not walking today. They, they could have just turned around and given up, but instead, they climb up on the roof. Now, the homes in that time were different than ours. They weren't pitched with dormers like a Cape Cod. They, were, they had flat roofs. They were one-story homes. They had an exterior staircase to get up there. So they walked up the staircase onto the roof, which was kind of like a large patio. You would receive friends and guests there. In the summertime, sometimes you would sleep there because it was cooler, and the roof itself was made up of beams laid across the walls with wood and, and, and thatch kind of worked be- woven between the beams, and then inches of mud pressed down on top, and then finally covered with some kind of tile or baked clay, like a brick of some sort. All that to say this: these guys were pretty, pretty committed to getting their friend to Jesus. Because they went up on the roof and they broke through the tiles and dug through the hardened clay and then ripped the thatch away and it had to be big enough to drop a grown man down through on a bed. Nothing like that ever happens to me. Nothing cool like that ever happens to me. Can you imagine today what that would be like if while we were speaking we started to hear the thump, thump, thump of of, of of footsteps on the roof. And all of a sudden we get hear hammers banging and scraping and somebody pulls out a circular saw and just cuts a big hole. What a distraction that would have been as Jesus is standing there preaching and dirt and dust and thatch falls down. Okay, now listen. I'm going to say something here because it's true and I don't mean to offend any one of you. I am somebody who is very easily distracted, right? I am no, no, there's no place in my life where I'm more easily distracted than right here, right now, okay? For instance, like children crying, it's like I have to focus really hard to keep, keep talking. Moving about, right? People, people who get up and go to the bathroom all the time and like, like it, it, is, it is like, uneasy for me to stay focused on what I'm doing when there's distraction happening around me. Right? I can't imagine what this would have been like. Like if that would have happened, I would have had to stop, pull up a chair and just wait. We'll just, <laughs> just see what's going on. There's no way I could have continued. These guys rip a hole. They drop him right down in the middle. And Jesus gives a really surprising remedy to the situation, doesn't he? He he could have just touched him. He could have just thought about what's going on. No, he looks at this guy, sees their faith. He speaks to him, son, not sir, not what the heck are you doing here? Where's Simon? Like, dude, my homeowner's insurance is not going to cover that. Like, you're going to have to fix that on the way out. I didn't ask for a, a a sunroof. All right. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And these guys on the roof must have been like, maybe he did not understand why we're here. (laughs) Sins? He can't walk. (laughs) It's not the sin that got us here. Could you do the magic? Make him walk again. Sins? We didn't come to have our sins forgiven. We came so our friend could walk again. Like That's great, Jesus. This guy has a significant problem and you just glossed right over it. It's not sin that's keeping him from living his best life. It's his inability to walk. Fix that. Why would he say your sins are forgiven? Why did he say that? That's not why they're there. Well, he said it because Jesus was shining light on the the fact that the central need of the paralytic, the central need of the crowd that is gathered, the central need for each one of us gathered here today is not the physical infirmities in our lives. It is not the circumstances of our lives. The central need that we have is to have our sins forgiven by a holy and a righteous God. Now that, that's not just a Christian oversimplification of this thing. I, I, I'm with you on that, right? If, that's not like bumper sticker theology, Oh, just ask Jesus, everything will be better. No, our lives are a wreck. They're a mess. We face very real problems. We are here today, many of us carrying incredible weight and burden, and it's not as simple as, oh, your real problem is you just need Jesus. But it is. Because even even in all the significant human and traumatic experiences that we carry, some of you today might be thinking, Matt... That's a little bit much here. A little overdramatic. Because I've got relationship issues that are unresolved. And if that would just get fixed, then I could get on with my life. I've I've got financial strain and distress that is causing me to lose sleep. It is affecting my friendships and my relationships. It's hurting my marriage. That's what needs to be fixed. And if God would just fix that, then the rest of it would work itself out. Or Matt, I've got parenting struggles you don't even know about. And if God would just restore that relationship, then all of it would be better. My heart is riddled with addiction and try as I might to beat this all on my own, I just can't. If God would just give me victory over that, then everything else would fall in line. I have anger and rage that just won't yield. And if God would just work on that, I'm dealing with guilt and shame from stuff I did 20, 30 years ago. And I can't forgive myself. And if God would just work on that, then, then it would all be okay. I was abused. I was a victim of an assault. And I can't close my eyes and go to sleep at night without seeing a flashback. That's the trauma I have. And you're telling me Jesus will just fix that? He'll just wave a magic wand and it'll all go away? Disappointment and heartbreak await me every day because all of my plans and all of my dreams just blew up in my face. And if God would just restore that, then, then I... Physical, and illness, physical illness and disease have been constant companions in this last season. And I'm still waiting news from the doctor on the last test. If he would just fix that, here's the thing. We think that the greatest needs in our lives is all of that. But the truth is, as significant as those are, there is a more significant and pressing need in your life than even that. Because we have to deal with the one who can't just destroy our bodies, but can destroy both soul and body in hell. We need to be reconciled to God because sin separates us from him. And something beautiful happens, and I'm not, please hear me, I'm not saying that once you become a Christian, none of those things bother you anymore. But I am telling you this, that if you are disconnected from your heavenly father and your creator and living out of step with his will and unredeemed without hope in this world, then you have absolutely no chance at fixing any of that. But if you would be connected to him by grace through faith and would receive the gift of his Holy Spirit coursing through your veins and would, would submit yourself to his hope and his joy, then you have a fighter's chance. You will never be able to forgive an abuser until you're first reconciled to a holy God and have the forgiveness of Christ in you. You will never be able to overcome addiction on your own until you've been liberated and set free in your soul and begin to work at and press that into your daily life. You will never, never be able to forgive those who have hurt you until you have reconciled to God to whom you, uh, whom you sin greatly against. Is it really? Yeah, it is really that simple. The greatest, most significant need you have is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus looks into the eyes of the paralytic who's come to him, lowered through a roof, seeking physical healing, and says to him, Son, the greatest need you have is you need forgiveness and I'm going to give it to you. Amazing. But this sets up a bit of a showdown with the religious leaders. Luke tells us the Pharisees are there. Mark tells us the scribes are there. You know, the uber-religious people. Right? The, the one, they're not there because they want to see the kingdom unfold. Right? They're there to catch Jesus. They're like the religious police. Some of you are grammar police. You know what I'm talking about. Shame on you. <laughs> Some of you are just waiting to catch your friends, right? They're not there with a pure heart that wants desperately to see God. They're watching with arms folded and furrowed brow, trying to wait for Jesus to trip up. They're waiting to catch him in something. And they do. The scribes are observing all of this, and they say to themselves in their own minds, Wait a minute. How can he talk like this? They're angry that he's crossed the line here. This is a penalty, like a 15 yard variety. Who does he think he is? In their own minds, they're not saying it out loud, they're in their own heads. They are thinking. They said, Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus is able to read their minds. See, they judge Jesus as a blasphemer. They, they determine that he's, he's bringing shame and dishonor to God because he's just a man and he's claiming to do something that only God can do, like forgive sin. You see, no one else has the ability or the authority to forgive sin but God alone. That's what they're saying in their minds. And they're right, they're absolutely right. Because our sin is not only sin against one another. Our sin is ultimately a rebellion against God. His will and his, his desires for our lives. His perfect character that he, desi- he wants us and requires us to walk in. He's either a fraud or he's God. There's not really, in this case, there's not really a whole lot of options here. You see, I can't forgive sins that weren't committed against me. And some of us grew up in traditions where that happened all the time. And it's it's good for us to be reminded. I can't forgive sins that weren't committed against me. I don't have the right. Here's an example. Tyler and I may or may not have a cup of coffee at Uncommon Grounds every week, at least once a week in the morning before we come in for staff meetings. So Tyler, maybe, maybe this Tuesday morning, I'm gonna get you in trouble. Maybe this Tuesday morning, you want to show up at 9 o'clock while Tyler and I are there sipping our coffee, solving all the church's problems, having a great time. You walk up to me. You greet me kindly, shake my hand, say, Pastor Matt, it's so nice to see you. You turn around and you backhand him right in the face. <laughs> Glasses go flying. He drops his cup of coffee. There's blood trickling down his face. And you look at me and you say, oh, gosh, what just came over? I'm so sorry. I've had a rough morning. Um, my kids didn't sleep good last night. My alarm was, was late. I'm, I'm running late to work. I, I got a lot on my mind. It's a big presentation today. Pastor Matt, will you forgive me? Yeah, the, the issue isn't me. You've got nothing with me. You need to talk to the dude you just slapped. And if he chooses to forgive you, that's his prerogative. And if he chooses to press charges, you're going to lose. I don't have the authority to forgive a sin that was committed against somebody else. I can gladly forgive you for sinning against me. Like if you're a Cowboys fan, I can forgive that. <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe with some, <laughs> some kind of penance we can do, I'm sure. I don't have the authority for to forgive sin that wasn't committed against me. That, that's just a common understanding. Jesus when he says your sins are forgiven, is saying something very clear. He's saying that you didn't just sin against one another, you sinned against me. And I have the authority and the power to release you from that burden that you owe me. When the Pharisees and the scribes hear him, of course they're upset about this. They know exactly what he's saying. He just identified himself with God. And they're going, well, hold on a second. That is not acceptable. Shame on you. That's a foul. This guy. But they didn't say it out loud. They thought it in their minds. And Jesus says to them, reading their minds, he exposes them for what they're thinking. He brings that right out into the open. He says, why do you question these things? Is that the sign of a fraud? Somebody who can read your mind? I think at that moment, they knew there was something special about this guy. Why do you question those things? And then he says, then he says, "Which is easier for me to do? Is it easier for me to announce forgiveness, or is it easier for me to ask this man to get up and walk? Well, obviously what's it easier to do? Well, it's easier to announce forgiveness, because it can't be verified, right? The guy is laying there on the mat. You say, all right, your sins are forgiven. How will they know? How are they going to see it? There's no way to like verify that right now. But if Jesus, kind of like those prophets in the Old Testament, if Jesus went out and said, listen, I'm going to heal you of your infirmity, get up and walk, and the guy can't get up and walk, then we know, right? It's, It's real clear. I might tell you I'm not good at basketball. You might think I'm lying. You put me on a court, we'll figure it out real soon. Real soon, right? There's no denying. It's right there in public. Jesus said, what's easier? If I tell him his sins are forgiven, or if I, if I say to him, get up and walk? All right. Here is the passage. Here is the verse. Here is the whole point of this story, right? And and it's not just that these four friends had great faith and brought their friend to Jesus. That's really cool too. But this is it right here. But that you would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He looks at the paralytic and he says to him, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out. There it is. What's easier? It's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven. You know it's hard? To, To heal a paralytic that you guys watched get lowered through the ceiling. But so that you would know that everything I say is true. So that you would know that the kingdom of heaven is actually here. So that you would know that I am not a fraud. That I have the power of heaven right here in me. Just so you, son, get up and walk. And the guy gets up. He takes up, he rolls up his bed. And he runs out glorifying God. Of course, he does. These people are astonished in the middle of a crowded house. Who knows how many people were pressed in to see this thing in front of the scribes and the Pharisees. I imagine he smiled at them, taunting them on the way out. And <laughs> there he goes. Bible says that they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and they said, we never saw anything like this. So what? What does all of that have to do with us today? There's a couple things that I think we could see. Again, this is is one of those areas where, I I mentioned a couple weeks ago, sometimes in like like the book of Ephesians, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The application is pretty clear. Don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's real clear. This is not one of those, those passages. This is more of like a, we need to ponder and embrace the message of Jesus. We need to seek God's discernment on how I apply this to my life. But here are, here are some areas I think that we, could, we would do well to ponder and consider. Mark does a wonderful job here. Demonstrating that the most pressing need in this man's life is not physical healing or a deliverance from his bodily paralysis, but the most pressing need in his life is his spiritual paralysis. That his heart is dead in trespass and sin. That is the most pressing need. That is not to say that the other needs aren't important, but it is the most pressing need. And when we look out over the harvest fields that are in front of us, the people that we know and love, the most pressing need of of men and women today is not their circumstances. The most pressing need is still their spiritual paralysis, that their hearts of stone are rebelling against God, and what they need is the breath of the Spirit to quicken them and make them alive again. The other needs they have, please hear me, are incredibly significant and drag them down and beset them and feel like weights on their shoulders. I'm not trying to minimize the litany of other things that we deal with. I am simply trying to prioritize the spiritual to its proper place. And I would argue again that until somebody is right with God, the issues of their circumstances... Will continue to defeat them. Because apart from the power of God, we are hopeless and helpless and lost in this world. We don't have the ability to overcome some of those things. I'm not trying to minimize your pain, your struggle, your grief. I am trying to tell you today that with God, all things are possible. And if you would be reconciled to him through faith, he would grant strength to endure. Secondly today, Jesus announces in this passage that he has the power and the authority to forgive sin. Which is significant because sin, like I said, is not primarily a matter between two humans. Between a human and a creator. You see, the way to this passage is clear. It is to reveal that Jesus is the one who has the power to forgive sin because he is divine. He is God. He identifies himself with God. Some of you are here today and you're not yet followers of Jesus and that that is a criticism you have heard against Christians and you have lobbied yourself from time to time. Well, Jesus doesn't identify himself as God. I would beg to differ. He says that he can do things that only God can do, so much so that the religious people are really mad at him and want to kill him for it. So you might be here today, you're not a Christian. You're willing to attend with a family member or a friend. You're willing to even explore a little of this religious stuff that your friend has a new fad with, but but you're not yet sure who Jesus is, and you're not really sure you want to go all in. And while you're coming around to the notion that he was indeed a good person and a good teacher, the idea that he's God in flesh is just a little bit much for you. I'd ask you this morning, have you considered these things? Have you considered that Jesus brought power and transformation to those he met? That he taught with authority? That he literally changed the course of human history with his death and resurrection, so much so that his followers turned the world upside down in a matter of a few decades? Have you considered the legacy and effect of his teaching And his person and his work. And have you considered what he said about himself? That he has the power to forgive sin. His message was clear. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. It's close. It's right here. It's it's available to you for the taking. Repent. Turn away from sin. Turn to Jesus. Believe in the gospel. Place your trust in him as Lord and Savior. We cannot escape this this passage with, uh, uh, with the powerful truth that Jesus has authority to forgive sin. And then he demonstrates that authority by raising up the paralytic. It was a sign. It was a witness to his power to forgive sin. It was a sign that he was who he said he was. You must reckon with him. We must reckon with him. And thirdly today, I think... One of the things that struck me as I was studying was the, the sheer power of unbelief and the utter need for the work of God to awaken people's hearts and minds. Capernaum was his home base. J.C. Ryle pointed out that no city had more of Jesus than Capernaum. No city heard more of Jesus than Capernaum. No city saw more of the work and power of Jesus. Then Capernaum, and while the crowds were pressed in, and they were intrigued, and they were astonished, they were amazed, but they weren't converted. They weren't converted. You know what, his words are way better than mine, and I brought, the whole, I brought the book with me today because I was highlighting everything, and it would have like hurt my fingers to try to type it all. This is J.C. Ryle. Everybody should read J.C. Ryle and his expository thoughts on the Gospel of Mark. He says this, We forget the amazing power of unbelief, the depth of man's enmity or his rebellion against God. We forget that the Capernautes heard the most faultless preaching and saw it confirmed by the most surprising miracles and yet remained dead in their trespasses and sins. We need reminding that the same gospel, which is the savor of life to some, is the savor of death to others, and that the same fire which softens the wax will also harden the clay. Nothing, in fact, seems to harden man's heart so much as to hear the gospel regularly and yet deliberately prefer the service of sin in the world. Never was there a people so highly favored as the people of Capernaum, and never was there a people who appeared to have become so hard. Why do I bring that up today? It is a common misbelief that if we would just get people to hear good preaching, if we would just share the gospel with them in the most compelling way, if the presentation would just be perfect, then the keys to their heart would open up. And to say that is to grossly misunderstand the depth of sin. That I am an enemy against God, that I have not honored him I have not obeyed him. I have not lived up to his righteous standard for my life, and nothing I do can solve that fact that there is a great gap that exists between us. And I'm dead to him. I can't. I can't move. Like dead, laying on the ground, dead. I can't move closer to him. I am as I am as productive in that situation as a paralytic unable to move from where I am. We are dead in trespass and sin, unable to move from our place where we are to the grace of Jesus. And friends, it is not the presentation that unlocks the heart. I wish it was. I've been preaching the gospel in a public setting like this for almost 20 years. And while I'm would not say that I'm overly competent in it. I am practiced in it. And it's not the presentation that unlocks the hearts of people. What's needed, what's necessary, is the move of God on the hearts of people. That the Spirit of God would begin to cause their hearts to soften. That that fire would melt the hardened heart. That the Spirit would breathe a breath of life into them. That while we were dead in trespass and sins, God, because of his rich mercy, made us alive together with him. We need the life-giving power of God. May we not be like the people of Capernaum, who become so familiar with the truths of the gospel that we harden our hearts to them. Maybe you're here today and you've been part of our church for a long time. You've been part of churches like this for a long time. You've heard a message just like this a ton of times, and yet you've continued to press And harden your heart. My friends, don't be like the people of Capernaum. Allow the fire of God to soften your heart today. Allow that breath of heaven to open your heart today. The time is fulfilled. It's now. The time is now. The kingdom is here, right here in front of you. Repent and believe. Who knows, but this might be the last chance you get. Repent and believe. Because here's the thing. You can't manufacture the move of the Spirit. It goes where it wants to go. He goes. He goes where he wants to go. And who's to say that the conditions will never be this right again? He's drawing you today. Respond today. In the hardness of your heart, you might not hear that call again. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, for its power, for its truth, for all that it does to expose us for who we are and then lead us to hope in Jesus. Lord, we are like this paralytic man, unable to, unable to move, unable to change our condition, desperately in need of somebody to help us and in your mercy, you were just the savior and the healer we needed because at just the right time, you ministered to us sent somebody to preach to us the gospel of hope in Christ, caused our hearts to beat again, opened our eyes to the truths of the scriptures, and enabled us to place faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that we would be overwhelmed with gratitude that you overcame the depth of our sin and depravity to make us your sons and your daughters. And Lord, I pray for those here in the room today who have bought into the false idea that their greatest obstacles in this life are their circumstances. Spirit of God, help them to see today that their primary need is to be right with you. Forgive us, God, for over-prioritizing the things of this world. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are walking with you and yet are still burdened about with so many trials today. Strengthen them to carry those burdens. Walk with them through them. Empower their forgiveness, their healing, their freedom. Through the power of your spirit working in their lives. And Lord, may our hearts never be like the people of Capernaum. May we be a people who respond to you when you call. May we yield and bend and submit to you and find in you all the joy that we ever hope to find in this world so much more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.